Hey everyone. Hello. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to At Home. Welcome, welcome. We had a lot of people texting me this week. We had we were excited to give away $500 in gift cards and surprise someone with a call and we have a new winner. This week, the winner was nominated by their mother, Deborah Agar from Plymouth, Michigan. And the winner is Stacy Risman and Brian James. Stacy Risman is an ICU nurse and Brian, her husband, is a police officer. We want to say a huge thank you to both of them for working hard to keep us all safe mm-hmm. and having to still leave their homes while we're all in isolation to make sure the rest of us are safe. So thank yeah. you so much. So please enjoy the $500 in gift cards and we'll be hopping on a call with you guys later this week. And be sure to stick around to the end of this episode so you can catch our chat with Destiny Sparks. Destiny Sparks is a principal. She's amazing how she connects with all the students in her school, even while in isolation, one-on-one Zoom calls with everybody. And we'll talk to her at the end of the episode. Remember, you can still nominate because we're picking someone every week. You just have to text me, 310-496-8667, and tell me their full name, their social media handle, and why you're nominating them. Thank you, everyone, for texting to nominate your loved ones. The stories you're sending in are so heartwarming, and we can't wait to keep the kindness going. And let's get right into this week's episode with Anna and Greg McEwen. It's a beautiful day, looking out the windows, blue skies. I thought you were going to start singing... Uh, Mr. Mr. Rogers. Rogers neighborhood it's always in my head. Mm-hmm. That's like my personal theme song. <laughs> yes. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us at home. This is Linda and Drew Scott. We are all at home. We're all in the same boat. We're finding ways to keep ourselves busy and keep ourselves positive and keep everybody safe by staying at home. Yeah. Those We're, of us who can stay at home are staying home. Yeah. And such a huge shout out to everybody who is a frontline worker, somebody who has to be out there to help everybody else so that we all stay safe. All of our medical professionals, anybody at grocery stores or... Postal workers. And restaurants too. I mean, we're still ordering as much as we can for takeout because we're trying to support local small businesses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've been loving... Crossroads, Porridge and Puffs. So many great restaurants. Local pizza places. I want to hear from you guys in your city. What are some of the great restaurants where you are? Yeah, we can't wait to get back out and... um, and try those out. Yes. Although we can wait until it's safe. Exactly. So you have to be honest with me, Lindor. Yes. What is something since, since we've been <laughs> cooped up inside together? You've never had me in your face this much your entire life, the 10 years of us together. What is something that I'm doing that is kind of annoying? Mm. I want you to be honest. It's just you and me. No one's listening right now. Okay. So. Okay. Since no one's listening... It doesn't annoy me, but I think it's it's funny. Not that I ever thought that we would have a chance to be bored or without anything to do, but you definitely fill your schedule, which is good because I think the first two weeks of, of um, staying at home, I was feeling a little directionless. And then, so then my suggestion was, well, why don't we make a calendar? It's almost like, you know, we're in school or yeah. we're, you know, our work schedule is structured. Yeah. I, I mean, like a structured schedule. Yeah. And, and really not much has changed in our work schedule, except that we aren't traveling every other day, which I love. I think we, yeah. we both talked about it and we don't want to go back to that schedule. Well, no, when you think about you know, literally on a plane every couple of days and, and jumping around so much, it's been really nice to just work from home. 
Well, I, I almost feel like it's it's sort of a new normal routine we could get used to. Mm-hmm. But back to what annoys me. <laughs> so what, number one thing annoying you is when I'm over structuring and over scheduling. But it doesn't annoy me actually. As long as we're still taking time for ourselves yeah. together. And that's the thing. You also schedule time in to relax and go for walks and... So, so what's the verdict then? You want me to be less organized what? and less structured or you like me to continue structuring the way I have? You do whatever you want is the verdict. Say it. Say, say the phrase. Oh, no. I hate that phrase. <laughs> I don't know why. I just Anytime I, I want to get don't. there. That's what Linda hates when I say it. I Just to get under her skin, I know she doesn't like that phrase. No, you do like, it to you be do you. funny because I do me. you think it's funny too. I do. I do. Well, well I think. You do. You. <laughs> I can't uh-huh. even say it. Yeah, for some reason you have to do it with a douchey accent. <laughs> do it. <laughs> you do you. Hey, why are you talking like this? You do you. I do me. Um, this week we have two great guests joining us and very relevant with all the conversations we've been having about mm-hmm. organization in our lives. Uh, we have Greg and Anna McEwen. Greg's book, Essentialism, is all about doing less and getting more out of life. It's the pursuit of less. The pursuit of less. Yeah. And I remember reading his book a year ago. I can't remember who recommended his book to me, but essentialism, it clicked. I mean, when I was growing up, I listened to every Tony Robbins tape, I, The Wealthy Barber, anything I could read. Uh, Kawasaki, he has his books. Um, they just, they spoke to me and I really loved mm-hmm. it. And this book to me, it feels like that kind of, I don't want to say it's a self-help book, but it really is because mm-hmm. it's helping you prioritize in your life. What's important to you? So many people throw so much on their plates of stuff that at the end of the day, it's so not many really that important. Like yourself. Like myself, I, I am the worst candidate. I will say you were changed by this book and it was very refreshing to see not that you needed to change. I mean, everyone can. I feel I did. Benefit from, you know, improving whatever. But it was fun to see you get excited about adapting a new perspective and and actually implementing it in our lives. Yeah. No, I I mean, for me, what was exciting was the idea of the pursuit of less because my whole life, I've always taken on more things than mostly everyone I know. And I've always, I love to work and I love to do a lot. I love to accomplish my goals. But the problem is I'm always keeping myself over busy and mm-hmm. I do find that sometimes I put so much attention on work-related ambition and not on family and what's important. I wouldn't say that you don't spend enough time with family because you are like the one person I know who can work so much and spend so much time with family. Just seeing your sh- your mentality shift was really, really cool. And, and I think speaking to Anna and Greg now is very timely because now that we do have a second to think about priorities at home, um, it it does make us revisit because it's not like you read it once and, and you're changed. Mm-hmm. We always need constant reminders and, and now's a good time to practice. Well, and that's the biggest thing for me, especially that we spend a lot of time together, mm-hmm. but there were times where I wasn't really fully present and um, looking back, I can oh, see that. I know, how rude of me. Oh my God. I'm fully present right now. We're hopping in the time machine going back. Let's do it. We're redoing all those moments. (laughs) Um, You know, it's funny that when we were talking to Greg and Anna, so this is a pretty long episode and this is a very long intro, uh, but we have the time, right? Yeah. Um, And 
we talked to Greg for, for this episode and then we uh, did the interview for his podcast and we talked for four, four and, a half, and hours. a half hours and we could have gone longer, but I really had to pee and we were so hungry. Oh my gosh. Like, honestly, it was such great conversation. It, it flew by. It didn't feel like that long. I don't think I've ever been on the phone with somebody for that long. But <laughs> I, oh, oh, Drew just kicked my mic. Tick that out. Oh. <laughs> she just punched the, my mic into my face. That, I, I can tell you something I don't like that you do at home. Punching my mic into my face. <laughs> that was the first time. Uh, uh, what was I saying? Oh yeah, I was saying how at times because we were we want to talk to a relationship therapist on this podcast. Mm-hmm. I think it's very needed all the time and especially now. But at times, our conversation with Greg and Anna did feel like a therapy session. Really I don't did. know if you felt that. way. Oh, I totally felt that way. <laughs> I, that's what I. I was even. I looked over at you one point. I'm like, this is like we're sitting in a therapy session. But I liked it. It's. I mean, I think a lot of people may have a misconception about therapy or seeing some a counselor, a couples counselor. I love the idea of it because mm-hmm. all you're doing is you're just giving yourself an opportunity to communicate or improve your communication. Yeah. And these are people who have seen all different scenarios with different relationships. And so their knowledge, their wealth of knowledge is a great thing to have as a part of your relationship. Yeah, I love when people give relationship advice. Like I just want to soak up all the knowledge and see you know, what works for us. and. It really is just tools you're given. We hope you guys enjoy our chat with Greg and Anna. Okay, if ADT wasn't professional enough, now ADT installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT believes the smarter the home, the safer the security. I mean, what are they going to do next? They're going to start a country singing career. I would listen to a country band named ADT. Also, I like to know what's happening at our front door from virtually anywhere with my Google Nest doorbell. Just saying. Your Google Nest doorbell? I said our. He said my. Everybody check that. Yeah. All right. Well, I like to control my ADT smart devices like my lights, my locks. (laughs) My security system with Google Nest speakers and displays. And I like to say, hey, Google, to get started. Listen, I said ours. I'm all about ours, not mine. (laughs) Help protect what matters most with all this, plus 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help make your home smarter and safer. I can feel the love. In a household, which I'm sure is full of essentialism, and I want to know how much Greg takes from his day-to-day at work and what he preaches with what he knows and has studied and how that integrates into home with you guys. Do you find, Anna, are you really the same when it comes to essentialism within the home? I'd say we're a good team. Uh, We definitely talk about essentialism together as a family. We're... I like to say we're aspiring essentialists because there's uh, a lot of applications when it comes to marriage and then children and all of the complexity that that brings. And so there's a lot of opportunity to, to talk about those principles and whether or not 
uh, we're living on. Greg, first off, I read your book. I, I think I messaged you way back um, after I had first uh, read your book. And, and I actually listened to your audio book as well, because I'm a nerd. I do it both ways. Um, but anyway, uh, that's, and that's not actually, too much. Sorry about that, really. It's probably should <laughs> apologize for interrupting your life in this way. No, see, th this is great. Um, I think the one thing too is you have such a great voice. I find you have a very relaxing, your voice makes me slow down and think a little bit more and ponder the, the points that you're bringing up. But do you find it sometimes hard to practice what you preach or do you find it, it's very easy, it's just in you? Oh, I think that, I mean, Anna used the term aspiring essentialist. And I think that's a pretty good uh, way of describing it. Like, I, I don't feel like I'm on some in any way on the mountaintop going, hey, this is, this is what the view looks like from up here, you know, uh, in this rarefied air. Uh, you know, we, we live the real, in the real world, and that's where I think essentialism is lived. I think essentialism is, is, is messy because, you, you know, what success looks like is that you're engaging in the wrestle day after day, that you're actually exploring what's essential now as the ongoing conversation. So you're doing that every day, you're doing it every week, you're taking time to go away together, Anna and I, to actually think about what matters. Um, and and so, so it's that ongoing work. So I think we probably struggle as much as anyone. And in some ways we struggle more, but just in a slightly different definition of the word struggle. We're like genuinely wanting to be in the essentialist arena. Mm. Uh, and, and we're doing that together. And, and if you had to... If you had to divide it this way, I would say Anna's a, a better essentialist than I am, you know, if you had to think about it in that way. But really, it's something that we're trying to do together. I, I would definitely say Linda is not a better essentialist than I am in wait, many ways. No. Wait, what? <laughs> well, anyway, first off, I just want to say I think that's why it's easier for, for those who have read your book to accept and receive what you're, what you're sharing because you're in it and you're not preaching from the top, you are in it daily and you understand what it's like now to, to go through that struggle. And you're, and it's, you know, a constant struggle. Yeah. Life throws curveballs at yeah. you and there's but, always something new that you have to approach. But I thought that was quite interesting then because Linda was coming in with that supportive comment and then Drew, you just like, Cut, you just cut right into it. You're like, yeah, but you're a, you're a terrible essentialist. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, know, I saw that. It's on, the, know, it's on the record now. Oh, yeah. This <laughs> That's is, what this I want to get back to. So what were you saying? So, <laughs> and it is funny, as much as, you know, we'll tease each other and joke all the time. I'm a total efficiency nut. And everybody who knows me knows I am. However, I'm also the absolute worst at, I make things very efficient, but then I throw 10 times the amount of things on my plate. So I, I'm, I mean, in your book, defining that, you know, we as humans, a lot of times, um, I can't remember exactly how you said it, but we, we tend to love to take on more things than we know we can handle. And that's just the way we do it. And then that way you're not really focusing in on what's most important. So I, I find that I tend to be able to take on more tasks and accomplish more things than a lot of people can. I love that busy pace, but 100% I do admit that I end up um, overloading my plate with stuff that doesn't really matter or things I don't need to do. So Linda is the other side of it. There are certain things that she is actually, she'll take her time with things. Like, um, for example, if we're posting something for one of our posts for at home, she will literally take two hours tweaking the caption and tweaking the photo and looking at this angle and things that she does. I'll be like, that could have been up like in 10 minutes if I was doing it. So we have different definitions <laughs> of what we find 
Okay, uh, important. Hold, hold, hold on. This is this is just this is fantastic. <laughs> I, I have things to say, but Linda, what, what, what's your what's your reaction to this? Do you do you do you agree? First of all, is this a fair representation? Yes, not a hundred percent of the time, but I do admit that if I'm going to put anything up, yes, I I take more time than I wish to. But if I'm putting anything up, I want to make sure that I'm writing it and I'm putting our signature on it and that it means something. Otherwise, I don't care to use social media. Well, well, no, I, and I'm with you. I mean, for, for us, social media for, for us is a way to connect with our listeners, our, our, our viewers from our shows. And um, we, I love it for that, but I don't want it to consume my life. She doesn't right. want it to consume and, and her life. And not to say that if, if you do or can only take two minutes to do it, that it's not meaningful. I, I don't mean that. But yeah, sometimes things take me two minutes and sometimes it's two hours because I'm like humming and hawing about so this, what to say. And again, I mean, so from what I studied in school and, and I want to dig into as well for, you know, where you got to um, what you know about essentialism and everything that, that's important in, in your life. But um, from what I studied back in the day, I studied kinesiology, I studied psychology, I studied um, human communication. I, a lot of things that affect our day-to-day -day communication and interaction. But what I find from what I learned is that a lot of people have a habit of they will continue to work on something and they'll try to improve it and improve it and improve it. And what they end up just doing is just changing it, changing it, changing it. It was already good. Now it's a different good. Now it's a different good. And it doesn't get any better. It's just different. And so my whole thought is, the first thing she had ready in 10 minutes was amazing. But now an hour and a half later, she's just changed it to another good thing yeah, that wasted time. But, but what if Steph Curry five years ago was like, I'm already amazing. I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to practice eight hours a day anymore. Yes. Yeah, so, okay. So I have to jump in like, a, little, a little time out here. Uh, so, so just, just to be clear, you think that because you drew do more things more efficiently that makes you an essentialist, but Linda. Oh hold no! On, hold on, but Linda does fewer things, slower and better, makes her a non-essentialist. Is that what you just said? That is not the definition <laughs> of what I said. Let me clarify. Uh, and by the way, I was saying the non-essentialist in me is the one that adds all those extra things. If I was really good at um, honing in being efficient like I am and leaving it there with those things, great. I would have so much time in the world to focus on our family and everything that we do. Um, so the bad side of me is the one that continues to load things. When I'm more efficient, then I load something else on top. And then I'm more efficient, I load more. On Linda's side of it, it's not being slower and taking more time and making it better. It's making it different. So she's slower and it was good in the first place and she just made it good in a different way because she spent more time, so constantly changing. So not all the time, don't get me wrong. She's amazing. She, Linda is the most creative person I've ever met. But what I find in the big difference in our personalities is I, I know something, I like something, I go for it, I do it. I don't question myself over and over and over, which makes me just change it because you, it was good the first time or a lot of times it's good the first time. There was that one time. Yeah. <laughs> how, how about yourself so so you tell me on, on your end of it with, with interaction between your personalities how do you guys find your interaction is whether it's um sort of rules that you lay in place for for grazing the kids or whether it's the time that you spend together aside from the time that you spend on work how do you guys deal with the roller coaster of fun that we that we were talking about 
So how do we apply essentialism? Is that the question? Or? Yeah, or just interact with each other's different personalities. How, how, how are we different in, a, in our approach? I think, I think Drew is trying to take the heat off of him right now. <laughs> I agree. I think that's what I think that's what just happened because I think we were onto something. Kind yeah, of yeah. We we haven't dug into to their perspective yet on what we were just talking about. Okay, we can come back to that then because we have all the time in the world. <laughs> we're we're going to make this episode eighteen hours because this is yeah. this is like a therapy session. We can be efficient. That's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> well, look, I mean, I just want to I just want to observe. I actually think that something you're saying is completely valid. So I'm just being, you know, I'm teasing a little bit here. And I'll get to what I think is totally valid in a moment. But it, it did strike me that it was almost a quintessential definition of what a non-essentialist is to efficiently, to efficiently do too many things. Because the whole idea of essentialism isn't to do more stuff. It's to do more of the right things and to, and to do them with care and with love so that they can become exceptional rather than to do many things averagely well. On the other hand, the thing that you're saying, which I think is so valid, is that you do have to be careful not to keep doing layer after layer of unnecessary complexity on a task that isn't actually adding greater value, isn't actually making something better. So I think that is valid. And, and, and I also think what is valid is that, is that you drew you know, from your description, you know, you want to fill your life with meaningful work. You want to fill it with the things that matter. And, and I do think that that is the right spirit of essentialism. Essentialism isn't the same as minimalism. It's not just having less for the, I don't know, the sake of less or the aesthetic of less. It's to fill your life with the things that matter. So that at the end of your life, you say, look, I, I, I starved the non-essential stuff, the stuff that didn't matter, so far away uh, by investing deeply in those few relationships and those few uh, efforts that really were meaningful. Um, mm. that's, that's, that's what I wanted to say. But now to your question. How, how, how do we do it that? How, how are we different at doing that? In any marriage, you've got yin, some yin and yang going on and, and it creates a nice balance, but you are so, so different and it's important to, to honor those differences because they really do help each other. I feel like, um, how, how are we different? Well, we're probably a little bit more of the opposite of you guys. I, um, yeah. I like to think through things, do some research, get all of my ducks in a row before I make a decision. Greg learns on the fly. He likes to just do it. And if things aren't working out during it, he problem solves, in, through the process, whereas that stresses me out. I, I like to prepare. I like to be all ready and have thought through everything and uh, be as prepared as possible. That doesn't stress Greg out at all. He's happy to just go for it and have it be yeah. kind of messy. And you like to wing it a little. So, you know, actually, there's a lot more similarity than I think with uh, Anna, with you and Linda in that aspect. And then with me and Greg. Yeah, I mean, I, so when you're raising your kids, though, one thing that uh, I was reading, you said you have a token system. And so I'm curious, because we're looking, you know, we want to have kids soon too. And we have, Linda's sisters have kids. We have friends that have kids and they all have their different methods for raising their kids. But how do you guys tackle with a lot of what you know and what you've learned? How do you tackle setting boundaries for your kids? And I want to know, I want to understand the token system. All right, well, the token system is actually something we, we read about in this parenting book and uh, 
it's a little bit old. It's before all of the smartphones and uh, iPads and all of the screens that are available now, but it, it still can be, I feel like, tailor-made to that. What it is is you, you, create, you create tokens. The very first tokens we had, I literally chopped up. I, I had these sample um, painting things like a tag board that had paint on it to try and pick colors for a room. I didn't need it anymore, and I chopped up one of those into just little square tokens, and I signed my name on the back to uh, make sure there was no chance of counterfeit. And, um, and we, uh, we assigned a monetary value to it at the time, and we gave our children, we also decided how many hours of screen time we would let them have just out of hand per week. So let's say um, let's say we allowed five hours of screen time in a week. So we'd give them 10 30-minute tokens. And um, that's a little trickier now because you've got like different, like a Netflix show might be 20 minutes. So maybe you'd just be like whatever an episode is, is a token or I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, you tailor it to what worked for you. So the children would. Each token was worth 50 cents. Yes. That's right. Uh, so they could. So, so, no, so if they didn't use the tokens at the end of the week, they could redeem it for money. Oh, and that's cool. interesting. If they did use the tokens, then they had five hours and that was, that was it. If they fought during like a TV show, they forfeited the show and the token, you know, um, and hmm. Also, uh, we'd try and have like a free family movie where we could all just watch something together and it didn't cost anything. Um, and here's the clincher. They could earn more tokens by reading. Uh. So if they wanted to watch more screens, if they wanted more screen time, then they actually needed to read. And okay. what this did was screen time over a period of time went down and reading time naturally went up. And it was um, really surprising because we actually didn't need the token system after a while. Um, oh. Just the problem kind of went away. You can always reintroduce it, but they, they got into books, they got into reading and it, it was amazing. I, so feel like, I feel like we, need to apply the token system to ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> I, really do. I, I had before this isolation thing, I had my screen time limited or like to shut off at a certain time at night and then mm. turn on at a certain time in the morning. Um, but now that we've been home, I've, I've just disabled that tool and I hate seeing the amount of screen time that's recorded because it's like, oh, that's why my eyes are burning and my brain's all foggy. <laughs> yeah. I do find after a day of, of work, especially just because I'm not used to sitting at a desk all the time. Uh, we're always, you know, on a construction site or we're, we're working, you know, on the road doing different things. But I do find I've, I've had to do some good stretching at the end of the day because I'll sit here like this. And then right. I realize, why, why am I holding my phone that close? I don't need the phone that close. It's just not paying attention. And then he's like super concentrating. So I call it his thinky face. This is my Clint Eastwood right here. <laughs> My, my squint Eastwood, whenever I, I'm really concentrating, it's really getting developed. But, but even uh, when he's reading a pleasant email or something, he's like, are you mad at something? Yeah. <laughs> no. It's my rest, resting Drew face. But uh, so um, back us up a little bit, Greg. Tell us, uh, you know, you, uh, you went to school. I think you got your MBA at Stanford, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, and so to give us a little bit of your background, what got you into the direction of where you are and your interests in really digging into life and how people, you know, waste away their lives focusing on too many things that don't mean anything and, and how you got to a lot of the philosophies that you have for uh, essentialism? Um, there, there were two really meaningful stories, but the, the one that I think most, you know, most directed me towards essentialism itself um, was that in the midst of working with companies in Silicon Valley, um, where I noticed this pattern that explained why companies didn't continue to be successful because they fell into uh, the undisciplined pursuit of more. Uh, I had a personal experience as well uh, where I, well, I got an email from my boss at the time said Friday between one and two would be a very bad time for your wife to have a baby um, because you're needed at this client meeting, you know, and then, and then it was Thursday uh, that we went into the hospital uh, with our daughter you know, and I went into labor and uh, in the early hours, Friday morning, our daughter is born and I'm still feeling pressured throughout this whole experience. Okay, how do I keep everybody happy? Uh, how do I, you know, maybe I can't, you know, everybody, birth's gone well, you know, everybody's looking good. You know, maybe I can just slip out and, be, and, and, and so, you know, to, to my shame, I went to the meeting. Uh, and I remember afterwards, my boss said, look, the client will respect you for the choice you just made. Uh, but the look on their faces didn't, it's that sort of confidence. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, it's really clear and, and anyone who hears this story now, right. And, and for me as well, it, it's clear in hindsight, right. I made a fool's bargain. You know, I violate something more important, something less important. And my, you know, the lesson I learned from it was like, if you don't prioritize your life, someone else will. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, that led me down really trying to research this and try to understand why it is that uh, so many otherwise successful people feel busy but not productive, stretched mm-hmm. too thin at work or at home, feeling like their day is being hijacked by other people's agenda for them, and so on. Because I found it's not just a, it wasn't just a, it wasn't just me, let's say it that way. No one pulled the McEwen, right? No one's done what I did, I'm sure. But, but in other ways, I'm making trade-offs they don't really mean to make. And, mm. uh, and so that was, that was a really important um, initiating moment uh, for getting serious about this subject and wanting to teach this subject and wanting to work with people around the world on, you know, on what's essential to them. And Anna, when this was happening, how did that make you feel? You know, your daughter's just born and... Yeah, it was very complicated, really, because because we are a team, and Greg was really quite tortured by the decision. He wanted to please his boss. He he likes to please people. His boss wasn't a mean person. Um, And, but he was really struggling with the decision. And I, I didn't want him to I didn't want him to be in the hospital agonizing oh should I maybe I should have gone to the meeting you know either um I wanted him to be there if he felt like that was the right decision in hindsight uh, both of us came out of that experience I think 
wondering kind of how that happened, you know, trying to figure out why, why, why is that the choice that was made? So, um, so yeah, I don't, I don't fully blame Greg for the decision. I, yeah. I could have communicated better. Um, and I would have liked him to stay. Um, yeah, yeah, right. I mean, I failed the test, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, because the test is, the test is don't ask me if this is okay, right? The, the test is, is don't, you, you know, d I shouldn't have to ask you not to do, like, you know, that, that's the inherent test, right? Yes. And I failed the test. But you're also doing the best you can. And so I... I could have helped you too. I mean, I, I, I want to be compassionate as for both of us in this, you know, in the situation. Which um, I think that, that also shows how, um, how caring and giving you are because you're, you want to be compassionate for him as well. But I mean, at the end of the day, I, I feel, I hear exactly what you're saying, Greg, you failed the test. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, but I think a lot of us have, have, have um, had a situation just like that. I know I've had it over in my life. I've had situations where I, I remember thinking like, I have to do this. Like, this is something that has to be done. There's no way around it. I absolutely have to do this. But there was something in the back of my head that was itching at me saying, why? This is wrong. You shouldn't, you, there shouldn't be, there should be no question. And then afterwards, when I looked back after the situation, um, I remember uh, thinking like, why did I think I had to do that? I think in almost every moment there is that what you said so it's something voice scratching you something there is a, a moment where you know what's essential and what's not and because a lot of people say oh how do you know what's essential and what isn't and, mm. and and I've created a variety of ways that you can try to do that but actually I think people already do know they just have to pause enough to just go which which voice are you listening to you know, mm -hmm. a friend of mine calls it the difference between your scared voice and your sacred voice, which I like because it's so similar, right? Mm. One letter different, move C. And, and, and I think that's what it is. The scared voice is the selfish voice. It's the look after me, I've got to protect me, I've got to do what I want, I've got to... And, and the sacred voice, I think, is real. And it's, it is almost always available to us, maybe always, if we pause and listen to it. So that, to me, is the deeper part of the story and certainly the... the, the, the connective tissue between those two stories. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like the, um, I mean, there's so many, again, when I read your book, there's so many little tidbits to me that felt like it's common sense. It really is common sense. Like they're, they're, these are things that I have thought about, but it's the reminder that I needed. Um, and the one thing I think that's really funny with what it sounds like from what you guys are saying, Greg, with your personality, you like to just go in there. If you make a mistake, you learn from it, you move on. I'm kind of the same way. But a lot of what you talk about, though, is that we don't give ourselves the time to breathe and the time to process these thoughts. Um, and it's also um, you, you had mentioned it's not it's not just a information overload or taking on too many tasks as an overload. It's also you were saying something about opinion overload. Do you mean that it sort of gives you certain insecurities if too many people are giving you their advice on things that they shouldn't be? Is yeah, I mean, I mean, first of all, you, you, you know, it totally aligns with what we've just said, right? Which voice are you listening to? And, and, and it's not just singular, it's plural, right? Which voices are you listening to? There's so many voices trying to tell you how to live, how you can have it all, who's doing what wrong, what you, I mean, the, the voices, you know, you spend, you know, you talk to Linda a second ago about your eyes burning because you're on a, on a screen too long. I know that feeling. And, but if you spend, eyes burning amount of time in social media, which I think a lot of people are right now, right? Uh, 
it's not just your eyes burning, right? It's like your, mm-hmm. it's like your brain burns, your soul burns. It's just full. And, and, and it's not even a joke. The matter is it's just full of mm-hmm. other people's opinion mm-hmm. and, and not wise opinions. And these are opinions often just given at a complete whim, a lot of angry voices. I mean, certainly on certain channels, you know, and, 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 and that's what consumes us. And so I think over this last 10 years, as we've gone from being connected to hyper-connected, uh, the number of voices is it's not increased a little, it's exponential increase. Mm-hmm. And so we have to adjust in, we have to adjust our tactics to deal with that new challenge. Otherwise we will be suffocated by those voices and we won't hear the, that sort of that one true voice that can actually help us Mm-hmm. live the essential mission in life that we came here to do. After I read your book, what, I, what was actually really great is we had a, I, had, I called uh, all our, our execs. So we have several different entities in our businesses and we called them all together and I had a little chat. I'm like, here's something we have to do. First off, read this book. And second off, um, I want to look at what we're doing for our practices and what we're doing with our different businesses and seeing where we are just spinning the wheel but not getting anywhere. What are things that we can do that can actually make our time for our team more enjoyable? Because a lot of our, you know, our employees, they're so they're such hard workers and they want to, um, you know, show us their best. They want to do twelve-hour days, even though we don't ask for that. And so we found a lot of ways to simplify our processes that would really reflect well in everybody which allowed me to enjoy more home time with Linda, our team to enjoy more time with uh, their families, and also for us all to enjoy more time together. So uh, I enjoyed that. And do you feel like you guys have made strides towards that? Oh, definitely. I think we, we have made strides. I think it's an ongoing journey. Like there's, you know, our, our employees are spread out all over US and Canada and, and different aspects from production to our product line, our magazine, the podcast. And so it, it's tough. Greg, when you're on the road, how do you balance your work time with your your family time? Yeah, because you talk about the the success trap, which is sometimes a lot more complicated than than the failure trap. Yeah, I don't want to skip past that point you just made because it, it's such a real challenge. I think the more successful somebody becomes, the more options they will have and the more attractive each of those options will be. And so the things that the opportunities that are coming your way today will be just the kinds of opportunities you were pursuing a year or two or three years ago. Mm-hmm. So you can be inundated with opportunities that you would definitely have said yes to before. And so now you feel like, you, you know, without, if you're not careful, you will say yes to all of those things and not increase your selectivity to the level of your current success. And if you don't do that, if you don't make that adjustment, you plateau in your, in your contribution. Okay. So, so what, what have we done about this? I mean, specifically to your question about travel, which I think is the least family friendly element of, uh, of how my career has evolved. Uh, about 80% of the time I'll, I'll bring one of the children with me. Um, and that has been, that has been a game changer. It's taken the, you know, as I say, the least, essentialist element of my of my career and it, it and it's just plus the whole experience i did it first as an incentive you know this will be good for the children this will be a good investment for them but what i found which it is <clears throat> they love it mm-hmm. they do. but i gain an enormous amount from it uh so so 
when we go instead of just you know, instead of just airplane car hotel you know repeat we'll make a memory we'll find a great great restaurant to go to we'll find a uh, you know the, the the art museum we'll go and do something and we'll make a memory together and so that's been one of the things that's that's helped to counter the effect of travel yeah. but I do want to make a different one more point which is that I don't have this enormous number of things. I have a fraction compared to what I have felt the pressure to have. Mm. So for example, from literally the month after Essentialism was published, and I have the best agent ever, this is not knocking him, but he's emailed me probably every month saying, okay, hey, you ready to talk about the next book? Should we just do this? Let's get on with it. And that's the norm, right? It's supposed to, and the norm is to do it every 18 months or so, maybe every two years at most. And, and this has been six years already now. And so the pressure has grown through that time to do the next book. And I have just, I've actually honestly given my temperament I already described, I wanted just to do that. But in pausing to try and go, is this the right thing? Can I feel that voice going, yes, this is the path, this is the time. I've had to say, no, it's not until uh, a year or two ago uh, when I felt like yeah, it is time and signed up to do the next book and then, working on that now seriously so actually beyond there really is hardly anything to to what we're doing there's there's the keynote business there's the book and now there's a podcast and that's it you know so it has kept the footprint of effort really small and hopefully still while we've been expanding the influence and, and impact hmm. yeah that's that's such a it, it feels like such a breath of fresh air to hear that because you think wildly successful author and speaker and expert you assume that your schedule is just littered with meetings and appearances. And I think for you to come out and say, it's okay to not have 24 seven, every slot booked. It's okay to, to have time to yourself and your family and still be successful and happy. And, and that's it. Like, it's as simple as that. I think, I think we, we definitely live in a culture where we brag about being busy and that's one thing I've tried to avoid saying, like when people ask how we are, I, you know, I have a habit of saying, oh, good and busy. Like busy, busy, that busy. doesn't say anything about how I am. So I think it's just a thing that we're used to saying that we have to get out of the habit of. I love when you're talking about taking one of your kids. So you have four kids and they're 11 to 17. They're all, yeah. And uh, I think that's amazing taking that one-on-one -on -one time with them, creating moments, memorable moments that they'll, you know, you'll have forever you're flying somewhere that seems pretty exciting for them to go, even though it's a work trip for you, and then creating those moments. That's pretty special. Yeah, I wanted to go back Making to- Making a note of that for future <laughs> children. ADT now professionally installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT believes the smarter the home, the safer the security. Help protect what matters most with 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. You said that very professionally. I try. <laughs> Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help you make your home smarter and safer. to go back to something Anna was saying about voicing what you want the other person to do um, because everything we say yes or no to obviously affects our relationships with ourselves and with our families so 
talking about essentialism in relationships, how, I mean, you've answered the question, could we just dive deeper? Because I think with everyone being at home now, I think it's more important than ever to voice what we want. Yeah, um, absolutely. And it's interesting to think about my own children. Uh, they're all so very different from one another. And our oldest child is exceptional. She teaches me about how to voice what she needs, what's going on. She's such a good communicator that way. So I know exactly where she's at emotionally. I know without any effort on my part. And she'll say, mom, I need to talk. Can you come in and talk to me tonight? Yeah, okay, I can totally do that. And she spoiled me a little bit because I, my next, uh, her younger sister, they're just 18 months apart, is very quiet. And is very different temperament-wise. So I don't think she has the same needs as her sister. Um, but I need to be sensitive to, to what she's not saying, to try and help her to draw those things out, to check in and give her a space to be able to communicate with me. Um, and with each of the kids trying to get into conversation, find out where they're at, find out what's going well with them, what's not. Paying attention when... Like one of ours, pretty much every night, our youngest is is a little melancholy right now. And and it's almost every night she's missing her friends. Mm. And so we're trying to find ways for her to still connect with her friends and make that work for her so she's not feeling quite as lonely. I don't know if that really answers your question. Well, I think, I think how you're answering it, though, is is isn't quite the question, which was about you being a big speaker and so, so on. But I think you've answered it brilliantly because... You're, you have worked really hard to give the children language and to, and, to, and to have this absolute norm, like literally daily norm of talking together, counseling together around the kitchen table or first thing in the morning, we have a kind of check-in in the morning and, and, and that can last, sometimes it's only 15 minutes or so, but sometimes it could be an hour, you know, like every day. And so it, it does add up where you are used to communicating, used to making decisions together, used to being able to recognizing. And, and here's, here's the, the principle, to me at least, that a lot of people in life think that you've only got two options. You can either give a polite yes or a rude no. Mm -hmm. And if you have that mindset in place, and I think a lot of teenagers too feel that, and so, and so, you know, they're either, well, I'm just going to take the easy way out is just say yes, or I'm frustrated about this, I just give the rude no. And, and to discover that there is this rich third alternative to negotiate. In fact, I just, I have it right here, this, this note here. But, um, but it, okay, this, I'm going to tell you this story. This is, um, this is laminated now because I, was, I, I used it, I had it in my pocket, and somebody said, oh, I've got to laminate this, you're going to want to have this forever. And, and this, is, uh, this is when I was trying to get, uh, it was a second daughter second daughter yeah. that you were just talking about. I was trying to persuade her to read a book. And she reads all the time. She's constantly reading. So some book, I don't even remember what it was, but I was trying to persuade her to do it. This is, this is, this well, one. Greg's pretty useful. persuasive, really. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, and, 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 you know, you've got levers at your command, don't you, as a, as a dad as well. So, you, you know, so it wasn't unpleasant as it happens or anything. We didn't have some big argument. She came to the office and I was in the next meeting and she slipped this note under the door. Right. Okay, I'm going to read this. She said, she said, I already expressed my unwillingness to read this book, but I'm willing to make a counteroffer. 
I am not willing to read it all in one day today, but I'd be happy to explore the possibility of reading it in the future, over the course of a few weeks. I believe it would be best to wait till the end of my literature assignment. <laughs> if you would like me to read this book in place of a separate assignment and over the course of a few weeks, I'm sure that can be made possible. That is your daughter. <laughs> <laughs> Right. So, so, you know, some combination of this traveling to these events, these keynotes and so on, and they, they, they come to the events, right? So they're learning and they're discussing and they'll answer questions in front of these groups. They'll put their hand up and give their put, input. Somewhere between that and then the modeling at home, you know, and in Anna's example of like how you can communicate in that middle space, how you can try to take on tough issues, but in a compassionate way, they have learned some language. She was 14 when she wrote that. Wow. And I feel like she didn't have to choose between these false dichotomy of like, yes, rude, no, she could talk about it. Let's talk, let's mm. deal with trade-offs. Let's have a conversation. Ex exemplifying this is essential for children to learn it. Um, opening up a negotiation for them if they're feeling stuck and talking about what their options are. And then in our own relationship, um, negotiating together in front of the children. I, I read somewhere and it just made so much sense to me that uh, as husband and wife, you're going to have arguments and sometimes they're going to be in front of the children and sometimes you want to leave and resolve it somewhere else. And what they made the case for was that it's important to communicate that resolution to the kids so they can mm. see not just the arguing, but they can see the resolution. Mm. And that, that's a really valuable skill for them to see modeled and mm. see. That's brilliant, that, isn't it? Um, I love that you've introduced that to us and to them. I mean, it's such a great point. Mm -hmm. I thought so when I read it. I thought that makes a lot of sense because what, what are they supposed to learn? How do, how, otherwise, how do they know? Yeah. yeah. Well, exactly. An argument. Oh, well, we better not do that in front of the kids. Let's go yeah. over here. Yeah. Well, conflict's normal. <laughs> so yeah. conflict's universal. The question isn't whether there'll be conflict. It's whether you learn how to stop it turning to contention and how you can move it into a positive direction. Like that's the thing that you have to yeah. see someone wrestle with. Well, I'm sure it's not always the best to have the whole conflict in front of them. I mean, we, we've gone into another room to finish, you know, the conversation that's starting to get a bit emotional, but coming back out and explaining, okay, we're good now. And this is why we've talked through it and, and being able to, to communicate to that, that, to that. I think my, Biggest question, I think this is an essential question as a parent, is if something isn't going well, what am I doing to model that? Like, am, mm. if I want them to be behaving differently, <laughs> am I modeling that behavior? How am I doing it, showing them how to, mm. how to succeed at this or how to do this thing? Mm. Is that a part of the same thing, you know, with, with your kids is you're, you're trying to find ways that you can model that sort of courage that they can have to stand up or with the letter that your daughter gave you um, for her to have the courage to make a statement like that or to try and negotiate with her parents uh, on something. I, I think that to me, that seems like a great example of that heroism that you, you bring out in people. Yeah, that's nice of you. I, I mean, I, I do think that hiding behind sort of the rock of essentialism is this, is, is courage. And, and I didn't intend to write a book about courage, but I actually think it is really there because it's the courage to it's the courage to negotiate it's the courage to not just to not 
just think it's either take it or leave it. And and there's an example that uh, I came across that I thought was really profound of somebody who, uh, learning about essentialism, it was before the book came out, but I taught a class at Stanford and, um, and, and so she'd attended that class. And so she'd gone home and she'd negotiated with her employer to have, I think, five days off in preparation for her wedding, uh, which doesn't seem that much really, but it's like, for those five days, you won't contact me, nothing. She's like, can just focus in preparation. So then she enters that five days. It's like the first day of five, she gets this call from her boss saying, you know, this is, uh, I'm sorry to do this. I mean, I get it, but the stones have dropped the ball. We've got this emergency and I just need you to jump in. And she said that in that moment, she sort of explored the last five years of her life. And she realized that for five years, she would have said yes in every single time mm-hmm. that kind of request was made. But because she had now this courage and because she'd agreed to that, she pushed back. She said her boss was not happy about it, um, but she did get the five days off. And later, uh, two things I thought were interesting. One, at the wedding itself, she changed her vows. This is like a bit much, but it's kind of amazing. She, she put into her vows, I will essentialize this marriage over all mm. others. I thought that was pretty, I mean, I this thought that was, you know, well. what did I say? Yeah, this marriage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> essentially, this, this relationship. And then, and then the second thing I thought was interesting is that what happened in her workplace is that the boss realized that this pattern had existed for a long time and that there were other people not pulling their weight and so made changes on the team. So while it was uncomfortable, while it took courage, it was necessary for any change to even be possible in the dynamic that you'd been buying in previously. Yeah, I think I think that story illustrates how you are your own hero. You know, you have to stand up for your own values and your relationships. And it it can be scary. Like I keep thinking back to the birth of your your daughter and for you to feel like you should have said something for him, for Greg to understand, you know, maybe this is what is best for my family right now. You know, if I had only said that, maybe he would have stayed. Even if you have to swallow the pride of, you know, not wanting to say something because you want him to get there on his own account. And I think that's what I struggle with sometimes. And I think a lot of relationships do where it's like, well, I want you to want it first. Not, I don't want me to tell you to want it, you know? Yeah, yeah, actually, I, I, so that's something I wanted to ask um, as well. So uh, reading your book, there was one moment you were talking about relationships and in a relationship that you can you know, give up certain things. Like, for example, if I was uh, had a golf membership and Linda was in a, a book club and you talk about how people giving up their individual things for time together and what they do together and to see that, you know, it's not a negative thing. It's a positive thing. I'd like to hear a bit more from your perspective on that because in my mind, I still see negativity from that, resentment that can build from having to give up something that you love. And I'm fortunate, you know, Linda loves everything, you know, supports me. I'm, I'm a total nerd. I, I take ping pong lessons, guitar lessons. I love playing basketball. I do all these things and I like to take lessons for everything and she supports it. But I could see if, you know, either of us were giving up something, if I was asking her to give up some of her crafting and, and passion with creativity and, and art uh, art and whatnot, I could see resentment building. So how do you not see that um, growing as a negative in a relationship? I think the way to avoid resentment is to to talk through it. I don't think it is. It, if it is something that's going to make you resent them, then it must be important to you for some reason. And mm-hmm. that's worth exploring. That's worth honoring. I mean, there are going to be things that make you you that are worth protecting. And I think 
a book club might be one of those things. If that's a, an, a, a, a situation where you're getting that sociality with your friends that you're not getting elsewhere and you need that to have, you know, healthy uh, mental health to, to have friendships and to nurture those types of relationships. then that's not something that you should give up. Um, so as, you know, as a couple, you, you do have to make sacrifices as children come and otherwise you just don't have enough time. I mean, we all have the same amount of time and we don't get any more just because we get more because we have children. <laughs> Unfortunately, we don't get... Definitely don't get more time once you have children, yeah. <laughs> no, it's exactly. the same amount of time. And so there's just naturally a, trade-offs that are going to be made. But yeah. if you, you, you feel peace about them when they're right, I think, even if they're hard. And, and that's really the key word, right, is the reality of trade-offs. Trade-offs. They, they, you can't say yes to something without saying no to many other things. And so to make those decisions consciously, thoughtfully, carefully is key because often people are saying yes without really being aware that they're saying no to something else. It's about shifting between, I'm sure you've heard this, but between the fear of missing out or FOMO and discovering, you know, the joy of missing out or JOMO, right? Like, I love know. JOMO. <laughs> <laughs> to actually be, be aware of that. And, 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 and earlier on, we were talking about uh, something that I wanted to come back to it is is um, this idea you said earlier, uh, Drew, you said about, I have to. There's these things, I have to do them, I have to, right? That language has an unintended consequence. When you say I have to, it's got a period at the end of it. It is the end of your thought process. The, the, there's nothing, I have to, that's the conversation ended. Oh, well, I'm going to meet you, I have to. Right? There's, no, there's nothing more to talk about. If you change the language to, I choose to because, now, you're, it's a conversation starter. You, you, if you fill in that blank, I choose to because, like I'll give you an example. Uh, our son was uh, registered for baseball, little league, uh, little league uh, and, uh, and we, we you know, knew, stepping into that right as the season's about to begin, we suddenly realized what, uh, how what much. it was Yes. <laughs> yeah. and, 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 but of course, the first thought. He, was, he played little league a few seasons before, so we were familiar with how mm -hmm. long it is, the practices, the games, how long the games are. And we have three other children, and we're trying to have extracurricular yeah. activities for all of them. So we think, well, we have to. And then we go, mm -hmm. no, no, okay. Well, I choose to because, well, because if we don't, Jack's going to be really disappointed. Well, now what you have when you say it that way is you have a hypothesis you can test. You can't if you just say, I have to. Mm. The hypothesis, well, son, come in here. We're thinking about maybe not doing Little League, and we just want to know your opinion before we make a decision about this. We want to understand your viewpoint. Oh, that'd be no problem, Dad. Yep, be fine. He didn't care at all. Oh, really? <laughs> Nothing. It saved you hours and hours of hassle. Yeah. Months of all that work and all that taking, assuming that this was a big deal to him, and in fact, this, hmm. was, this was totally trivial to him. So with everything we've talked about, if you were to give, anybody listening here, if you were to give a few key points Actually, because we have both of you here too, I think it'd be great if there are a few key points for parents that you feel could be great things in their lives for how to balance their work and their personal relationship, how they interact with their kids to encourage these conversations. What are a few key things that we can finish off with for uh, our listeners? This might sound a little bit off, but um, date night. I know that doesn't seem like a parent thing necessarily, like, you know, for the kids, 
But that's something we've really pr- protected. I mean, with quarantine, it's a little interesting, but, um, but one, one big date night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but as the years have gone by and we made the sacrifices when our children were small to find people who could watch them so we could go out. Um, and now it's much easier because they can watch themselves. They will sometimes shoo us out the door. They're like, are you having a date night tonight? That's like really important to them to see us prioritizing our relationship. I think they, they know that when our relationship is good, home is good too. (laughs) But, um, makes their life easier. What is your quarantine date night? Usually we just go back in, in our room or, and we'll watch a movie together and just kind of get our alone time there. Nice. Um, We might go on a, a drive and, you know, you take out or something, but that's usually we're just inside. We're mimicking your moves. That's what we do too. Our, our little getaway is usually around sunset. We will go out and we'll watch the sunset from, uh, we'll just drive up into the hills or something like that and get a good view over the hills. Do a picnic in the car. Picnic in the car. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's a lot. I like like that idea. Yeah. (laughs) Building on this, on the idea of just scheduling. I mean, like building routines that people can count on. So we, we have, you know, we certainly have a day every week, an evening every week that's, you know, like like a date night for us, but we have like date night for the family. Nobody misses that, no matter what. It doesn't matter what's going on at school. It doesn't matter what's going on anywhere else. We're going to be there together. And, and there's always a treat at the end of it. Um, no matter how badly the children behave, <laughs> the treat is non-negotiable. Yeah, it can't be taken away. <laughs> because we want them mm. to want to do this next time. <laughs> Really, uh, you know, we're quarreling and we're upset. There's a treat at the end of it, and, uh, and, and we, we, we really have, have barely missed that in 20 years, right? So, like, wow. that, that just has become a, a you know, you're going to wake up in the morning and you're going to get together as well for, as a family, you know, once a week, but same night, same thing. The most important thing is to achieve and maintain a positive family culture. Mm-hmm. So that's more important. So we, we, some of our children are homeschooled. Well, everybody's homeschooled now, right? <laughs> the whole world's homeschooled now. Uh, but uh, but even before all of this, we, we were doing that, and we learned it's not about the curriculum. That, that's like that is not the you think that's the most important thing. You think the structure of that isn't what it's about. It's about maintaining positive culture because out of positive emotions comes all of these other uh, assets and developmentally helpful things. So how do you maintain positivity? that's actually easier said than done and, and one of the things that we have is we created a family star chart which is not quite how you do it. it's not your, not your mother's star chart so to speak this is like we get together and we agree on a thing we're going to like a reward, reward ourselves uh, go, go see a movie could be a you know could be a banana split party that we're going to do could be you know really we big did a one camping. For us. like we went out camping one night as one of our nice. so you choose a reward then then you have space for stars or points, right? Stars. And, and you get a star for someone being caught doing the right thing, but there's no names on the star chart. Mm. The idea is that if Our anyone, star chart was literally a grid I drew and yeah. we just drew in stars. No names. That's important because it's not about the competition. Anyone gets a star. Everybody is closer to achieving the goal. So it's, mm. it's just all, you can't take a star away. That's also really important because you don't want it to be a punishment thing. Mm-hmm. There's, it's only upside. And so for, it's as much as anything it's for us, maybe it's for me, maybe it's for me more than anyone, but is, is to make sure I'm trying to catch people doing the right thing. 
Mm. When I walk out of the office, when I'm coming in from travel, instead of seeing the thing, there's always something. You, of course, you could find somebody doing the wrong thing in any situation, right? Of course you could. But in this or you're case, like, have you done this yet? Have you done that yet? Yeah. You know, those kinds of... That rolled pretty easy off her tongue. Because <laughs> 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 and, 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 I do. And, 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 and so, so that, that's sort of it. That's the whole thing. But, I mean, our children will ask for that. If it's been a while since we've done it, or we, if they sense it's getting a little negative, they will ask for it. And the one we're doing right now is cool because we, we've initiated that they can give one star per day to each other or indeed to us. And so it's been the first time we've been on the receiving end of getting them. And what's oh. cool about it is that you really do get educated. You're being educated about what matters to someone else. Wow, and you that's very know cool. that otherwise. And you educate your children about like what's going well. When they're playing together, you usually don't want to mess with it. You're like, they're getting along. I'll just yeah. But instead it's like, no, call them out. This is so great. You guys are getting yeah. along so well, you know, and they just beam. It's, it's amazing. I love that. I love the outlook that you're talking about though, saying that you're, you're learning from your kids because I, I, I've talked to so many parents who, who it almost sounds like they're the parents, they're the adults. They're the ones that will do the teaching. They never think of it the other way around where they can actually learn something from the kids. So I think that's an amazing outlook. They are really extraordinary now, but they just went, I mean, I'm talking like yesterday, day before, they went for five hours up into one of the hills close to here to film Princess Bride, Princess Bride scene from Princess Bride. <laughs> in exact, it's part of our eldest, she's in a film class right now at college, she's graduated high school. It's all virtual. And, 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 so, and so it's like, see exactly word by word, it, you know, all the lighting, everything has to be exactly as that scene. It's where, where the, uh, I came powder. It's amazing. It's so good. Actually, the, the, it really is delightful, but, but for five, five hours, hours they did it. Hot sun. We, we weren't involved in one iota of that. We weren't, we didn't hear one complaint. It wasn't a thing. They just went, they did it five hours. They came back. Here's the, here's the thing. And I just think, man, you know, that something's been working and stewing mm. between them all that they're able to do that. Because I, I, I think, well, I see actually, Drew, what you were saying before about how your parents, what they taught you about, you know, failure and so on. I mean, I've heard you so say important. elsewhere that, 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 you know, you, your evidence that family can do business together and so on, right? Which uh, yeah. clearly lots of people can't. That's a resilient right? mindset. Mm-hmm. But, but it also means that something was stewing right way before there was ever some business ideas. The order wasn't, hey, we did a business, then we figured out how to do it. It was, we understood how to work. And then we mm-hmm. thought, well, given that, we can do this creative work together. So anyway. But, but now I know I can put Jonathan on a star chart <laughs> and then we'll set a reward at the end of the tunnel, like a box of Ferrero Shays that we'll all share together. And, uh, but, but when you guys, when you tell the story of your kids working together on that, you know, without fighting for five hours and then Drew and Jonathan. I don't know that they didn't fight the whole we, time. We were there, so we don't know. <laughs> but they created something amazing. Um, I think that the parallel is definitely just, you know, they have the tools to communicate. Whether they're fighting or not, whether, you know, you're in an argument or, or you're getting along, if you have those tools to communicate, which Jonathan and Drew obviously have a shorthand, um, then then you're fine. You can get over those, those bumps. I, I've made so many little notes about all the things you guys have said with how you're raising your kids, which I think are amazing tools. We will be doing the token system. I'm setting up this reward star chart. 
And the star chart I'm excited to, to use for ourselves. I mean, all of these tools that you're applying with, with your kids, I just automatically think like we need, like everyone needs this. Well, even in a business place, you think about it in an office, imagine if they didn't just have a complaint box. Imagine if they had a compliment box. I think that's pretty amazing to be able to do something like that where, you, where you're looking for the moments where you're complimenting some, somebody. I, I'm of the, the spirit, you know, if you go to a restaurant, if somebody gives you bad service, you would complain. Or if you're in a store and there's bad service, you complain. Well, most of the time, I would say probably, I don't know the numbers, obviously, but there's probably 90% of the time or more that if somebody does something good, it's never mentioned because it's just, you move on with your life. It's the gratitude deficit disorder, right? Uh, that, that a lot of people are dealing with is that they're being taken for granted. And the research is pretty strong on this, that, that uh, especially in the workplace, people are like basically 90% of the time when people are doing the right thing, no one is saying a word. Mm -hmm. And so you really do go, it's your job. We're not gonna thank you for doing your job. But what the research also shows is if you, because of that current dynamic, if you start being the gracious one, if you start catching people doing the right thing, you have a disproportionate value add that happens in the workplace. And, and so there is this so much upside. It's like the cheapest, easiest, fastest way to improve results in a work environment is to just start every meeting, hey, what's going right? Uh, yeah. You know, I, I read about somebody recently that every the last thing they do every Friday at the, as they end the day is they, you know, send people email thank yous from the week. That's their last ritual at the end of the week. And these little these little rituals, I think, uh, you know, pay. I don't know what the, 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 the factor is, but like a ten x factor. Oh, uh, I in, in I totally see that. Yeah, I mean, uh, who doesn't want to have a bit of that positive uh, reinforcement from time to time? It just makes everyone feel better. Yeah, and again, it, it works in every relationship. And I think now that we're all spending more time together, not that it's more important now, but we're realizing that, you know, certain communication patterns get us into certain moods. So it's it's nice to be able to pause and think about like, oh, I shouldn't have said it that way. Or, you know, if, if we're seeing each other for the first time in two hours, you shouldn't be commenting on what the other person didn't do. Right. So it's yeah. I, I love the... It's, ma it's mainly someone. because um, her list would be a lot bigger to me than my <laughs> list would be to her. But uh, but we actually, uh, at the end of every week in our company, so between our production company and, and Scott Brothers Global, who oversees our licensing one, we have everybody is on an email and we it's called Tell Me Something Good. And so at the end of every week, there's a little something where we pull something from every department, a little something good that everyone's been doing. And it can be a small thing or a big thing. But together, it really has made a, a big difference for pulling us all closer together especially since we're spread out so much. Mm -hmm. awesome. So I think what we should do to, to wrap things up here, why don't we all say something good from our week, starting with you guys. I love how everybody looks at me just saying that. That, that was a little bit of pressure. Uh, some, something good. Well, I mean, I, okay, one, one thing that's good, I was going to say this conversation, but that feels like a little bit of a cheat. Um, the, uh, the, you know, so I said that we did this family you know, night every week. And in this week, I honestly, I didn't feel like doing it. I mean, I didn't, I didn't mean, I wasn't like over it, but it was, you know, we still got a little later. The children had just, I wasn't, it was, That's it was the, the same day. They'd been gone for five hours. So they came back. They're all very relaxed and happy at home. And I sort of had this feeling of like, well, I just leave them to it. You know, everyone's just, you know, so, and, 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 and then I was like, you know, I don't know, we should still do it. We've got to keep, keep it routine. And so what we ended up doing was um, was s'mores. 
Well, Greg got the idea to do s'mores. He put on his mask. He, he disappeared. I didn't know where he was. And he comes back with the bag of... <laughs> nice. Hey, that's awesome. It made she would have been there. So she loves s'mores. Yeah. That's awesome. It, what it was, of course, is it, it just was a moment, right? It was like a little it was like a little memory outside around the fire pit, the same one that Jack built for me. Uh, and, uh, and and just in the night doing this, and, and it's a little moment of magic. So, uh, yeah. yeah. That's great. Anna, what about you? Um, I'm just going to say I'm, I'm thankful for um, being able to work on Jack's birthday cake with Jack and Esther today. They were both totally, can we do this now? And it was so nice to be able to, to do that together and create a little memory. It's just really fun. Cute. Cake is always good. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say mine was yesterday celebrating your birthday. Oh, yeah. She spoiled me yesterday. I, I think... Um, it, it can get very monotonous, you know, in everyday life. So I always try to find opportunities to celebrate things or people and birthdays are just another excuse. But yesterday was super special because although everyone's apart, it was great to see people excited to get on the conference call. You know, you just text someone the link and everyone's like, yeah, sure, I'll be there. And we know how busy everyone is, even though we're at home. You know, there's this illusion that, oh, we're at home, so there's so much time. But we understand people are busier than ever yeah. mentally and physically. So yeah, it was nice to see everyone. It was. Since she said my birthday is her special moment, I won't say my birthday, even though it was very special. You can't vote for yourself again. Uh, I won't vote for myself. <laughs> uh, I would say for me, um, I've been doing weekly, I've been doing guitar um, with my dad. And so I've actually been taking lessons with a, my guitar coach who's out in New York. So we're doing virtual lessons. And then every week I hop on with my dad. Now he used to play professionally before I was born. He hasn't played a lot over the years. He's 86 now. But wow. it's been really cool to see my dad get really charged up again. And you see the light in his eyes about playing a little bit when he hasn't, he hasn't played much in years. And so he's now been itching to get me on uh, a Zoom chat to play each week and try new songs. And he's even bringing new songs that he's never played before. He was having Linda teach him a song, Lava, uh, as well. So it's pretty cool to see how that's really just brought a lot of li uh, life uh, into him. Um, just through a guitar. Mm -hmm. so. Well, thanks so much for taking time to, to sit down and chat with us. And uh, obviously, I mean, anybody who has not read Essentialism should definitely, or get the audio book, uh, but also your podcast. One last thing I just want to talk about is, is your podcast. So can you give a little um, synopsis of um, what the podcast is about? I know your first episode is the two of you guys together and what you're looking for listeners to get out of your podcast. Well, in a way, it's sort of a, a no-brainer. I've just been educated by people over these last six years that, that people, well, they read essentialism and, and, and then they say, okay, now how do I do it? Which is both sort of praise and censure. Because <laughs> 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 I thought that's what the book was about. But, um, but people seem to want, okay, I want to have an ongoing conversation. And, and I've actually been really hesitant about adding things myself and you know, what's the best way to do it. But I've, I've, after doing... I don't know, quite a few podcasts now over the years for other people, I, I can see that it's a, it is a particularly beautiful medium. Uh, there's something different about it. It's not radio. It's not, of course, television. It's not, it's something different. It's a bit, it's, it's more intimate. It's more real. Uh, and it's a conversation. And so this is an opportunity for people to, you know, continue that conversation about how they can, be more essentialist, how they can create essentialist culture in their homes, in their workplaces, you know, with the important people in their lives. 
and uh, I'm really looking forward to having that direct conversation for the first time with yeah, we can't wait to listen. Yeah, it's definitely going to be an exciting thing to listen to. And I can tell anybody out there who's listening, I know, like from my perspective too, I feel I'm somebody who, if I read something or if I learn something new, it does stick with me and I can I can implement. But I too find I really love that ongoing reminder of a simple step, simple things, stories that I can relate to um, that can give me those little reminders to continue down the path that I want to. So. That, that's why I'll be listening every week, even though I think I do grasp essentialism. <laughs> I'm not saying I've implemented everything that I've learned from you, but I do grasp the concept. And there's always more to learn. There's always you know. more to learn. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I don't mean to push this out, but, but that idea of being reminded, only recently did I understand that when you remember something, you're not just, oh, it's coming back to me. What happens is that you're going deeper. Yeah. Every, every iteration of something, that idea actually makes a mark and starts to become, you know, sort of the journey from mind to heart or something. You, you actually start to become something you weren't before. And, yeah. and I think that's the ultimate test of essentialism is, is, is it's not can I add this new thing to my life? Mm -hmm. It's can I become something I wasn't before? And, yeah. I, and I'm in that. I mean, I'm, I keep making mistakes. We'll talk about that on the podcast too, all the constant mistakes I'm making with it. Uh, but also this journey to actually become a better, you know, more of who we really are and less of who we aren't. That's amazing. And I'm sure that Anna has a long list of your mistakes that she can give <laughs> for fuel for your podcast. Well, thanks again for taking the time, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. So inspired chatting with Greg and Anna. It, it just makes my mind think of all the ways in our lives that we can simplify to get so much more out mm -hmm. of life. I really love the pursuit of doing less. Yes. That is our goal this year. That, is. that should always be our goal. And, and actually do being, less, achieve more. Being in isolation though, it, it, it kind of gives us that start where we're forced to do less, but it's actually giving us that reminder of how that gives us so much more. Now it's time for us to hop on our call. This was our winner of the gift cards and call with Linda Mee last week, Destiny Sparks. She's a principal in Minneapolis. And I love how she takes the time with every student in her school to make sure that everyone feels safe and they don't feel alone and they're still connected with their community. Mm -hmm. These kids are so lucky to have her and, and we were so lucky to be able to chat with her. Destiny, Hi, thank Destiny. you so much for joining us. Hi, Drew and Linda. Well, I mean, Thanks obviously- so for having me. You have Thank a lot of people you. out there that love you and you inspire the best and spread positivity with a lot of people. I want to hear more about your school. Uh, Vicki Gilligan obviously nominated you to win the $500 in gift cards, but also a surprise call from us. This is more exciting for us to talk to yeah. you and learn about your school. Uh, wonderful. Thank you for having me. Um, and thanks to my friend Vicki for nominating me. Um, our school is a small arts infused um, charter school. We've been around since 1996. Um, and we serve a population of kids that need a safe place to come to school and feel like they belong and are accepted. A high special ed population as well. We've got about 40% um, special ed. And then we've got um, kids that have been bullied so badly at other places um, that they just want to feel like they can come somewhere and feel like they belong. Um, a high uh, percentage of LGBTQ population as well. Um, We've got kids that physically have hidden in closets at other schools to escape bullying, and they want to feel like they can belong. 
So we're kind of like, if you ever watch Rudolph at Christmas time, we're like the Island of Misfit Toys. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, and then we had a, a parent um, named Kate a couple years ago that said, you know what, Destiny, my kid is a unicorn and unicorns don't do very well in pony school. <laughs> and I was like, that perfectly summed it up for us. I love that. Actually, that's a great way to describe it. And and we've, we're actually just talking with friends about this too. It's an amazing thing to celebrate that we're all different. It's it's sad sometimes when kids get bullied if they're just a little different. And I think that's also maybe because a lot of other kids, they just don't understand or maybe it's their insecurities that, that cause them to, uh, to bully. But I really love the idea that you guys are bringing in this island for misfit toys mm-hmm. uh, and, and celebrating the differences. Mm-hmm. And, and Vicky tells us that even during during isolation, you've been staying connected with the entire school community, having one-on-one virtual meetings with students, which is, mm-hmm. which just, it just fills our heart. It, it is, it's amazing. And the, the kids are so supportive of one another. You know, we've really been talking to them about, you know, try to make one phone call a day um, to a grandparent or to another student. Um, and we've got some students that are pretty new to our school that, actually felt a little bit better um, doing the distance learning mm. and felt like they could reach out. So they're they're texting in the background um, saying, hey, I need somebody to talk to. Will somebody talk to me? And then it's so inspiring to see 10 or 15 kids say, sure, send me your digits, um, you know, which I just think is so cute. So um, the kids really keep us going um, and they do wonderful stuff for us as well. Um, I don't, I don't know if you can see behind me. I've got a giant narwhal. Um, our mascot is the narwhal. Oh, oh yeah. And then I'm gonna pop Hold on up. a second. I thought that was a puppy. Oh, this is a puppy. Oh, that, yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Oh, there we go. I see I'll now. Grab, I'll grab two things. So here's my, my narwhal that one oh, of the cute. students gave me last year. That's awesome. And then this year, one of my students... Um, made this painting for me with oh, wow. Boba Fett on a narwhal. I that is so it. cool. That's amazing. <laughs> that, that's so, like, that. that's what dreams are made of right there. Right? I mean, that's that's right? amazing. And they, I mean, they inspire me all the time. Um, and just being able to see their faces and hear their voices. Um, and we're just able to connect, you know, and I, I had a kid texted me the other day, we were actually in a staff meeting and she just texted and said, Destiny, I'm having a hard time. And I said, I'm wrapping up the staff meeting. I'll give you a call. Uh, Um, uh. So just their different struggles. And then it's so great. Um, I don't want to totally dominate. So cut me off. No, we're we're here to hear you talk. (laughs) Uh, But we have um, one of our students just said that, that, you know, she was really struggling and the community takes care of one another. So I've had other families that are doing okay in quarantine and are still able to work. And so they've sent me grocery gift cards mm. so that I can then, they don't know who they go to, just that it's somebody else at school. Mm. Um, so then I'm sending those out to some of our families that are struggling right now. And it's just really neat to see how the watershed community takes care of one another. That's really amazing. Yeah, and, and I think that's something too that in a time like this, which is a very serious time with COVID, but there are a lot of people that are at home alone. There are a lot of families that relied on the lunches the kids get at school. 
right. for nutrition. And to see how people are coming together to support one another is, is mm-hmm. truly amazing. And it, it's really heartwarming. Yeah, and we, we hope that these are the things that will stick after we're out of isolation. Yeah, the new norm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what's your age range at your school? Um, so we're high school. So we um, started ninth grade and then we've actually got kids um, in Minnesota. They've got until they're 21 to receive a high school education. So we have some um, that stay past. They're called super seniors. Um, and so, and again, our community is so wonderful because there's no stigma with that. Um, some kids take a little bit longer to get stuff done mm-hmm. or if they've had health issues or um I had a student a few years ago whose dad um, had terminal cancer and she kind of took a year off to be with her dad, which yeah. was so important for her. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes it just takes kids a little bit longer and we welcome that and accept that as well. Yeah. When I had my school that I went to, my high school was a, a work at your own pace system too. And obviously this is many years ago, mm-hmm. but um, I actually enjoy that too, because the whole part of that system was everybody learns differently. Everybody's different. And so, you know, for me, I was great at math, but I wasn't as fast with some of the sciences. And, and so it, it allows you to, to work at a pace that, that is comfortable for you, uh, but still challenges you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And we hear that you're planning a, a graduation parade as well. We are. So we have decided we're going to do a drive-by graduation. So our teachers are going to get in their cars and their face masks and we'll call um, I'll have one of my sons in the car with me that'll make the phone call. So I'm, you know, hands-free and all that. Um, and then we'll call their house and say, you know, Drew, you're up next. We'll be there in 10 minutes. Um, and then the kid can come out and all of my face mask on. We've got um, one of our parents is sewing uh, class of 2020 face masks for all the teachers and graduates. <laughs> How many, uh, you, your school, you said you have about 60 kids. How many kids are graduating? About 20. Wow. Well, that's great. Uh, so you're going to be busy. That's 20 yeah. stops to make around the city. <laughs> that is 20 stops. Absolutely. So we have uh, one of our teachers that, that does some home visits. She's mapping it all out. She's got her little Google pins and all this to, uh, to yeah. make it at least as logical as possible. Yeah. That's really great. And when so, does that happen? Oh yeah. When's that? That's going to be on June 20th this year. Okay, cool. Awesome. We'll so, be cheering them on from, from afar. I'm sure that you've already inspired all of your students and your graduates, but what, what are some information, some words that you can bestow upon the rest of the grads out there around the country that can be some good wisdom moving into the next chapter of their lives? I actually wrote this down for one of my kids that I wanted to talk to, um, but we're all hurting right now, and it's kind of a mourning that we're going through, I think, with the loss of seeing people and hugs and um there's two kinds of people i think when it comes to suffering or hurting um those who want to make sure that others feel the same pain they do and those who want nobody to ever go through what they went through and i think it's really important for people to you know figure out which kind of person you are um i grew up with a lot of challenges as well um And so for me, part of what I do and part of my passion with the kids is to make sure that they have an easier time than I did. Um, And so I really want kids to think about that as they go out into the world. Great. Well, thank you so much for taking time to to chat with us. And we're passing along all of our love and and, um, best wishes to the graduates Mm -hmm. of 2020 as well from your school. And one last question. You spend so much time helping other people. How do you celebrate yourself? Um, well, we 
we just um, moved to this house in the end of February. And I have, you see the dog behind me. Um, so I've got four pets. I've got two cats and two dogs. Um, and I love gardening. So I'm outside tinkering um, in the garden. And I've got a really nice tiered garden at the new house. And I didn't know what was going to pop up. So it's kind of an adventure <laughs> with that. Um, so that's one of my passions that that keeps me going. Recharging awesome. my batteries. Hey, yeah. we're the same. We love we love it. Especially Linda loves getting out there in the garden. So I also don't know anything about gardening, but yeah. we'll see. <laughs> well, enjoy your graduation ceremonies. Thank you again for everything you, you do. And enjoy the gift certificates. Thank you so much, Linda and Joy. I really appreciate it. Thank you Thank so you. much. Thank you. Dun, 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 dun. ADT <laughs> now professionally installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT is awesome and believes that the smarter the home, the safer the security. I can't wait to see what they do next. They're going to put Google Nest doorbells on the moon. <laughs> dun, dun. Actually, I'd like to know what's happening at our front door from virtually anywhere with our Google Nest doorbell. I do love how when we're out at dinner, we can see exactly what's going on at the front door. And we can control our ADT smart devices like... Lights, locks, the security system with Google Nest speakers and displays. Mm-hmm. All you have to say is, hey, Google, to get started. Well, I think it's great for people to help protect what matters most with all of this. Plus, 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help make your home smarter and safer. Hey, Google.